There's always a FinReg Angle, the podcast providing you with the latest news and commentary on financial regulation. Brought to you by Global Custodian. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of There's Always a FinReg Angle. I'm John Watkins, editor of Global Custodian, and I'm joined virtually, as always, by a cast of FinReg experts, Sean Tuffy, Virginia O'Shea, and Joe Parsons. Welcome back, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hey, well, welcome back. Can't believe we made it to season two. I mean, Surprising, yeah. Is this going to be more fit regular than ever? <laughs> That's the tagline. I can't wait for a, there's always a fin red angle Tokyo Drift. <laughs> is, is, wait, is that number three or does that fit in between seven and eight? I've lost track of the, uh, the chronological order of it. But yeah, it's season two. Um, congratulations on everyone on, on getting renewed by... Well, us, um, but for our, for our audience, uh, you know, given it's a new season, we're open to suggestions for, for what gets included this time around. Um, do get in touch. Do leave us some reviews and some feedback. Um, you know, give us some comments. Maybe even one of you or two of you wants to appear on the show. Do, do get in touch. Don't be shy. But, you know, we're only a couple of weeks into 2021, and we've already had some huge developments on the FinReg scene, as, as well as the world itself, of course. You know, the incident with the capital, LSE's deal with Refinitiv getting the green light, uh, and of course, the arrival of sea shanties in our lives. Um, Virginia, you first brought this to my attention. And first of all, I really, really wish you hadn't. Uh, but could you explain what they are and why? Just oh God, <laughs> you're asking me to explain something, a phenomenon that I, I mean, I am not on TikTok. Some of my friends and their children are. It was my friend's children that pointed out the sea shanties to begin with, and then they just exploded all over Twitter. I have absolutely <laughs> no idea why this year has started off with sea shanties at all, so I cannot explain it. <laughs> Joe, you're, Joe you're, you're the youngest, surely. You know, how, how, what is a sea, sea, sea shanty? I don't know. What is a TikTok? Is that... Oh, okay. We're well out of touch on the show then. We've got no chance. All right, Sean, what... In all seriousness, what does it mean for Finreg? <laughs> sea shanties? God knows. I don't know. But um, <laughs> I think, I mean, obviously, look, it's been a busy three weeks um, uh, to start the year. And I think Brexit's come and we're starting to see the fallout of that. We're starting to see the U.S. Finreg agenda firm up. So I think a lot's been happening. Yeah. I mean, if you'd have said R at the end of that, it would have been a sea shanty itself. But you're right, a lot, <laughs> a lot happening. Um, yeah. So where, where do we even start? I mean, you, you mentioned Brexit. I think I'm going to hold off on that one for a while because I think just today we've heard the, the official confirmation that Gary Gensler is now the head of the SEC, SEC uh, move that we all thought might happen, but uh, is now confirmed. And we talked about it a little bit before Christmas. But Sean, is, yeah, is this the first person to head both CFTC and the SEC? And what does it mean for for a market that probably still has nightmares about his first tenure with the uh, this the commission? It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think it's a clear sign um, from the Biden Biden administration that they're going to focus a lot um, on sort of I, want, I don't want to use the word reining in, but focus a little more on looking at investor protection um, and the impact uh, of regulation on that. So I think you know. The obvious areas um, to pursue are sort of increased corporate disclosures, be that ESG, um, be that some of the final pieces of Dodd-Frank that have actually never been put into place. Um, and I think for for asset managers, I think there are a couple areas to track. And I think the first one is sort of the fallout, 
there have been calls to sort of reverse both the proxy rule and the derivatives rule that came in towards the end of um, the last SEC term. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if that happens. But I think more broadly, <clears throat> I think there'll be a focus on pre-sale disclosures, uh, and whether that's a sort of a standalone push or wrapped into the SEC's fund name uh, work remains to be seen. And then sort of internationally, um, obviously, Gensler's ten tenure at the CFTC was a little contentious when it came to dealing with ESMA, the EU, uh, and uh, quite frankly, the FCA. So it'll be interesting to see um, how that plays out sort of in an international sense, um, mainly because, I mean, the last, since Gensler was last um, a regulator, the Europe has definitely sort of taken the march in terms of uh, leading global uh, fin rank for asset management. So I think that will be a, a different position um, for him to come into. Yeah, lots, uh, lots to keep an eye on there, Len. And finishing off the Dodd-Frank stuff is, is uh, an interesting uh, continuation of his legacy. It really is, isn't it? Um, Virginia, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we always talk about him as being kind of anti-markets, uh, uh, as people say. You know, did he just is that his approach? Do you think, or did he just come in at a time at the CFTC where big changes were being rolled out um, because of the financial crisis? You know, no matter who was in that seat. I mean, it's a bit of both. Um, um, don't get me wrong; some people absolutely hate him. I've had people rant down the phone at me about him. So, um, <laughs> Wall Street are not a big fan of him and, and his legacy. Um, to put it mildly, and, and obviously the SEC was quite behind, um, Sean mentioned Dodd-Frank, the SEC was quite far behind the CFTC in implementation over the years, right? Although all of them were relatively slow. Um, so I do expect much more movement on that side. Obviously, the agenda of the Biden administration is to get along with everybody. So um, maybe not the markets, but they certainly want to be internationally cooperative. So maybe that will improve his standing with people like Esper and the FCA, who knows? I'm assuming that there'll be pressure on him to make sure that the SEC is seen as cooperative internationally. Um, but then he does tend to like, it seems to like to put his own stamp on things. So, um, and, and certainly <laughs> there'll be an internal battle perhaps um, about what, what he actually he tries to sort of do in areas like ESG and things like that. They've already moved on. I mean, we're already quite far ahead in Europe. Um, how does the US catch up? I'm sure we've said this a few times, but um, there are other areas that are likely to get some scrutiny straight away. I mean, obviously, um, Sean's mentioned some things that may be reworked, but I mean, we've got crypto that's sort of running wild, relatively speaking, in the US that hasn't been um, heavily regulated as yet. I imagine that's going to come under his scrutiny. Um, I know that some people have differing opinions on whether he's going to come down hard and it will be, be lenient, but he's certainly been keeping his eye on it. I believe while he was at MIT when he was doing his teaching, he's been sort of writing vast numbers of papers on the topic. So he certainly hasn't taken his eye off the ball. So I imagine that's going to help him in, in terms of, of getting up to speed on that side of things. Um, I know ETFs, again, there's loopholes in that market and things that need scrutinizing again, um, that the SEC has done some work on, but probably needs a bit more work around. So certainly those are topics I think he we can expect to see much more movement on. But uh, as I say, I'm not sure what he's going to do sort of um, in terms of, of things like spot markets, um, is he going to go to try and get um, the SEC related to crypto, try and oversee those markets? Um, because there is a kind of gap there. And I, and I don't know really where crypto sits as well, thinking about it. I mean, 
the CFTC. It's sort of sitting in between the CFTC and the SEC at the moment. So um, is there a fight between the two as to who takes over, you know, takes precedence in that in that space and, and who ends up? I don't know. We, have we had a confirmation of who's heading up the CFTC yet? I can't recall. I don't think we have, have we? No, I don't think we have. So I think that remains to be seen. And I totally agree that I think the crypto is an interesting one because towards the end, in the last, towards the end of December, a bunch of uh, proposals came out um, from a couple of regulators, the Treasury and a couple others, around the regulation of crypto. So I think that will definitely be a theme this year. And to be honest, as he said, like, I mean, Gary Gensler has he he understands crypto. So I mean, there's probably he probably whatever you think of his regulatory philosophy, he is a he is a good he is well placed to sort of take on the challenge of creating some sort of regulatory framework. And I think one of the things that we we should be tracking, or you know, we are certainly tracking, as um, sort of the the, the long, fest, uh, long simmering dream of a, a Bitcoin ETF, which has I think someone <laughs> refiled towards the end of last year. So I think that will be something that will be <clears throat> sort of closely tracked by the industry. But I think will be, I mean, I think will be an interesting time. And I think generally speaking, as we saw with the last administration. Sort of regulatory action and change really happens at the sort of uh, commission level and agency level, not really the legislative level. So I think it really is going to be what does the SEC do? What does the CFTC do? Um, what sort of changes um, changes the direction of the regulatory um, outlook? And obviously, the other area that we're paying attention to is sort of the third round, I guess you would call it, of the fiduciary rule. Um, I think that's likely to something that will come up again, and whether we get a rewrite of Reg BI or sort of an augmentation through the the DOL rule is worth worth tracking. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I imagine on the, the crypto front, like you said, he's going to arrive to a desk full of uh, Bitcoin ETF um, applications. Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it right that he's probably a bit more positive on 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 the crypto as an asset class? I mean, I think over the past sort of couple of months, really, there's been a lot of regulatory action um, from the Office of Comptroller Currency and, and some of the other banking regulators to, uh, you know, give custody, you know, let, let banks actually launch custody services of, of these crypto. And then maybe if Genter is a bit more sort of bullish on, on, on crypto's NASDAQ, he'd be more inclined to work out sort of the, the all, all the rules and regulations around creating this kind of sort of market structure for it. It's hard to tell at the moment. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you, you agree. I mean, yes, he's not. I wouldn't call him anti-crypto for sure. So I think he I think he has been studying the issue and, and the SEC in general over the last six months has become sort of more amenable to the idea. So I think, you know, it's I don't think you have someone coming in who's looking to sort of ban crypto, but someone who's looking to come on and create a regulatory framework for it, which, you know, crypto purists are always going to balk at. But I think in general... Market participants would from market participants throughout the value chain would welcome regulatory clarity on it. And don't forget, when he's writing papers about these things for MIT, it's a very different matter for having to to protect investors and having those you know that pressure from the political side to to maybe crack down on some of this stuff. I, I you know you don't know how much sort of it's going to be moderate versus slightly more <laughs> anti-market in terms of the administration as well. That that should have an impact on what happens. I would expect. Have you read any of those papers? I started on a deep learning and financial services one just the other day, and it was well, it was deep. 
Um, <laughs> 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 I'm still going with it, but as you said, different different stance there. Um, we should we should probably move on to Brexit um, because. Obviously, uh, you know, deal was struck over over the um, end of the year with the transition period. But um, you know, wh- where are we now in terms of, of equivalence? Is, is there still a lot up in the air for Jenny? Well, there was no- next to nothing in that agreement on financial services, unfortunately. I mean, and, and we're having. I mean, there's, there's there's so many other things that were in there um, around fisheries and all of this nonsense, um, or fishing, I should say. Um, but there was very little on on the you know the UK's leading industries. So uh, there's so much up in the air at the moment. I think that's where we're sort of everyone's gone into the backstop where it's like we're treating it like a hard Brexit, right? Um, because because there was so little given to to what's going on there. So I know that the you know the FCA has been sending out missives constantly about the topic, and and that there's a lot of concern in the industry about the negative impact thus far. We've seen the US benefit from um, trading going across the Atlantic um, rather than going to any European or UK venue. Um, a lot of the derivative stuff has moved um, on the swap side, so that's a worrying precedent to see. Um, not unexpected, though, given, given obviously things that are going on and the uncertainty in the market. And we've also seen a massive decline in hiring and, and the, for this year in terms of financial services. So Brexit's already, I mean, we've seen the tip of the iceberg, I think, in terms of the impact. Um, but it's not looking rosy, unfortunately, uh, overall, if you ask me. Sean, anything to add on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the die was cast a long time ago when it comes to financial services and Brexit. So I don't think the fact that it wasn't particularly included in the final Brexit agreement, except for sort of a gentleman's agreement to revisit the topic in three months time surprises anyone. But I think, so what we're seeing now is a sort of the natural impact of the, no, sort of the hard Brexit for financial services or the UK in general. And I, but I totally agree that uh, this is sort of, in particular for asset management, this is really the tip of the, this is the beginning of Brexit, not the end in a lot of ways. So really what we see now um, is, how firms are going to deal with sort of the post-Brexit world and what does that mean for their sort of operational setup? What does this mean for the product strategy? What does this mean for regulation going forward? So I think for a lot, I mean, most people had sort of accepted that we were going to end up where we are now. And it's sort of, what does that mean for the future? I think it's the bigger question. And I think there are two points on that. One is, you know, sort of all these temporary measures that are in place, how are they made permanent? And then what is the impact on Brexit, sort of future regulation um, and divergence between the UK and EU. I mean, it's, it's really got to be, it's going to hit the asset management industry, you know, so much harder, I reckon, than they probably a lot of people thought, especially, you know, those ones that manage uh, funds in, in Ireland and Luxembourg. I think, I think I read somewhere that nearly half of all fund money managed in Britain is in Ireland and Luxembourg. Um, and then if, the, you know, if, if we're, if, what we're seeing is if the EU, you know, bring in stricter rules on you know, stock picking or, or other, other risk management delegation services uh, and and, and um, functions, you know, there's going to be a real um, divergence and, and a, a huge operational pain probably for, for for asset managers. Right. I mean, that's the big question: is this AFMD use its review um, around delegation and how much? tighter the requirements get and how if any more how much or any more substance is required in the eu for 
universe or, or use its funds. And that's the big unknown. And I think that's the sort of the big question that people will be tracking this year. I mean, anything, is there anything on the, on the asset services or the, the, on the service provider side, um, has there been, been any major changes that we've seen, you know, from, um, the 1st of January with regards to settlement functions or, or, or maybe other asset servicing functions? Not, not particularly now. I mean, I think, I mean, notwithstanding individual asset servicers, sort of corporate structures, um, asset servicing itself is pretty sort of outside the bounds of most Brexit impacted regulation. I mean, the only area that would be most impacted um, would have been Crest, but there's a sort of a temporary stay of ex execution on um, Irish securities using Crest. So I think for the most part, for asset servicers, it's been a pretty straightforward process. Sean, I'm guessing the, uh, the the property prices over in Dublin though are uh, shooting up, are they? Yes, they absolutely have <laughs> continued to continue to go only one direction, which makes my decision to continue to rent seem either foolhardy or genius, depending on your worldview. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you're seeing all the people moving to like Amsterdam and Dublin. I think those are the two sort of winning cities thus far in terms of uh, of places for people to relocate to, uh, particularly on the market structure side, I've noticed, um, and trade repositories and things like that. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. Joe, how many, uh, there was a certain amount of new jobs that the Irish Fund said that there'd be because of uh, because of this? Oh, it'd be up into the thousands, isn't it? I think they were saying. Um, but I think that was, that's not really done through, it's not as really as a result of Brexit. I think that is just that the, um, Irish regulators just uh, they're doubling down on their asset management capabilities there. I think they, they passed the, the private funds law at the end of last year. Uh, and, and I think that's all just to to cap, to really capitalise on Ireland being a sort of a dominant fund hub um, in the EU, EU and to compete with Luxembourg, really. Yeah, interesting one to follow that. Um, uh, Virginia, you mentioned um, trade repositories a minute ago. Uh, we saw that... ESMA kind of rescinded the registrations of a bunch of credit rating agencies and trade repositories. Um, was there any consequences to that or were they all kind of all prepared in beforehand and, and clients kind of moved to another location? Pretty much all of them, barring one credit rater um, who'd already been warned several times. The um, EIU was the only one that sort of was slipping at the wheel. I'm not sure what happened there, but um, it, it's uh, lost its status. But the rest all sort of flipped over to, as I say, like uh, locations um, on in, in the EU now. So to the Ireland and Amsterdam and Paris, I think, were the three locations primarily where people have, have put their... Um, their hubs. So that's that wasn't too much of an impact. I think everybody was prepared for it at that point, aside from EIU. And I don't know why they didn't. It's, it's interesting. I don't know whether they've moved since. I haven't looked. I haven't looked actually. But I'm assuming they'll have to if they want business in the EU. Absolutely. Okay. Well, good. That's a, that's a lot of stuff. And I think um, I think there's some more to dig into. Certainly on the ESG front. We'll probably save that for for another day. Um, you know, we touched on Bitcoin regulation a little bit uh, today. Uh, again, that's something I think we'll track. Uh, as we go further throughout the year, um, but uh, I know certainly it's been a, a crazy couple of weeks, and, and for Bitcoin especially as well. I mean, going up up the way it did, with record highs, record drops. You know, there was uh, <laughs> there was suggestions of it going to six figures, a warning it could go to zero. Um, do, do, you, do you guys, uh, Virginia and Sean, think that this is going to be even more under the radar this year? I mean, we, we also saw um, some some custodians come out and, and as Joe said earlier start offering crypto custody services you know it feels like a real stamp of approval as well during this um especially manic time for for cryptocurrencies um so Virginia what do you think are we gonna 
still be talking about this a lot over 2021? I expect so, but I'm quite bored of the conversation already. I've not been talking about it for under the last three or four years now. I think we've been talking about crypto, you know, assets and crypto custody and hot wallets and cold wallets and all of these, you know, exciting newfangled things that they were, you know, were exciting four years ago. Um, and, and nobody really moved aside from one Japanese custodian, I think, at that point. Um, so, so, yes, I think that people have been sort of compelled for various reasons to start setting up these services. I don't know whether any of them have seen take up, really. Um, we haven't seen a massive rush from the institutional side into to crypto. Mm. But as you'll see from TikTok, which Joe doesn't know anything about, <laughs> there's some quite amusing stuff about people um, investing in Bitcoin on there. Um, <laughs> that You can see why there's such a volatile market. All our Robin Hood traders. I, you, I, did find, I did find it funny when the FCA, I think they, didn't they come out last week or, or so saying that the investors got to be prepared to lose all their money yeah, all in crypto. <laughs> I, I listened to that and I thought, hmm, I'm going to do a cheeky punt on Ethereum. Double down. They're tricking me somehow. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, if you need someone to take care of it, Joe, just give uh, Northern Trust and a child a ring. They'll, uh, they'll help you out now. <laughs> but I think do what you said. Buy high. Buy, <laughs> buy high and then do nothing with it if it goes to zero. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Virginia, you mentioned about, yeah, there's not institutional demand. But I guess that must be because the infrastructure just isn't in place at the moment. You know, if, if you do get these incumbent custodians kind of entering the space, Bring in their standards, yeah, the KYC, AML, all the, all the stuff you'd expect with a bank, and then you get some other services around it, um, prime brokerage perhaps. Then, then surely we must see a, a bit of a, a bit of an uptake. I mean, I, I do believe them when they do say that there is a bit of demand there, certainly from hedge funds, family offices. Um, you know, for, imagine not pension funds so much at the moment, but uh, there seems to be some there, kind of pushing some of these launches through. Lower end of the scale, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm certain that there is some demand, and there has been demand in other, you know, other regions. I mean, if you look at Asia, for example, there has been some demand there, comparative to Europe. But we don't, don't forget how conservative Europeans are um, in terms of, of <laughs> some of this stuff. So I'm not sure um, in terms of the bigger institutions whether that that will take off anytime soon. But certainly, I mean, there's investigations at the lower end. I mean, you say that. I mean we've talked about this previously before about um central bank digital currencies you know on this sort of crypto uh, and digital asset sort of topic and um i know john you just wrote a story today that the the france's central bank has completed the first um live settlement of a fund using cdb uh, cbdc tokens i think that was in collaboration with uh, a group of group of banks as managers city and cassis being among them um I mean, it, it, this looks you know, quite promising, really, for C- CBDCs to really take off in 2021. I mean, Sh- Sean, do you agree? Well, I think that <clears throat> I think when we talk about crypto and we talk about Bitcoin, there's a lot of different moving parts, right? So you have Bitcoin, which is the the big brand name that everyone follows that's worth a lot of money, that it's not worth as much money, and everyone gets very excited over it. Um, and then I think there is more... There's two other aspects around tokenization in general and digital assets in general. And I think that's the part, um, digital assets in particular, that probably will gain more traction this year as sort of financial market infrastructures and asset servicers start looking at how you could deploy elements of, be it DLT or whatever, to sort of improve 
the processing of digital assets and sort of hard to record um, assets through tokenization. So I think that's probably worth watching. I think the, you know, the, the headline and big, you know, very exciting and buzzy Bitcoin's a, sort of in almost a different issue. So I think it's certainly digitization, tokenization, and DLT will continue to um, <clears throat> inch towards the mainstream. I don't know if this is the year that it happens or if it's the next year, but I think certainly, you know, you have Australia looking to implement elements of DLT into their, as they upgrade their equities exchange. So I start, we'll start to see it in places. Um, but honestly, it will be probably much more boring <clears throat> than Bitcoin. I mean, that's the problem. It's not nearly, at the end of the day, financial market infrastructure and asset servicing is a, is a boring industry. So that sort of infrastructure element of it to support institutional demand um, is a little different than the sort of headline grabbing stuff. There's, there's a big difference between a pilot <laughs> and an up and running, you know, workable CBD, CBDC. I keep wanting to say ACDC when, when people say that, but um, <laughs> I don't know why. But it's it's sort of a gulf between the two. And if you think about the chess replacement, I mean, that just is a case in point of how bloody slow it is to get these things off the ground, right? I mean, we've been waiting an an eternity, it feels like now, for the the final launch of that. Um, Just because the market hasn't been ready, they've had some issues with scale, there's been back and forth. I mean, I just can't see, you know, us, uh, you know, any of the European markets or maybe even any, aside from some Asian markets going gung-ho full full forward on uh, on cbdc's yeah i mean i honestly think to bring it sort of back because there's always as we say there's always a thin reg angle i honestly think for real institutional interest and by that i mean sort of you know your asset management uh, institutional investors there needs to be the regulatory framework needs to become clearer around digital assets and cryptocurrency um and i think absent that it's very hard for these investors to sort of materially invest in the space um, because there's just so much uncertainty. So I think if we get to a place at the end of the year where, you know, the OCC, SEC in the U.S. and the Treasury is sort of sort of developing a real framework from a regulatory perspective around crypto that gives all the participants in the value chain more comfort around how it would work, then you might see some interest in it. I just think until that happens, it, it remains much more of a speculative investment for a lot of investors. I mean, I mean, has there been any work around building a, a regulatory framework for DLT or a blockchain? Not particularly. I mean, the ESMA and the Commission have sort of poked around at it, but I mean, that's really just sort of much more market infrastructure than it is anything else. Um, but there really hasn't been any. There's been lots of, unless I've missed it, there's been lots of talk about the promise of it, how it could be helpful, but not a lot of conversation how you would really deploy it um, from a regulatory standpoint. Great. Well, yeah, I know. I think on the CBDC topic, you know, there's definitely it's kind of incumbent upon these central banks to explore it. You know, whether it's protecting kind of monetary sovereignty or whatever, they've got to look into it. Can't be the only one that's not. And uh, you know, I do find it interesting that people, you know, talk about oh, okay, people don't have access to mobile payments, so let's look into digital currencies. But then surely, people that don't have access to to, to kind of mobile banking uh, surely fall foul of the same issue with uh, central bank digital currencies. But, uh, you know, it's 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 one to watch. Um, as is the crypto situation. I think we were quite surprised to see the the launch um, of was it Zodio Joe uh, over Christmas. Um, you know, Standard Chartered and Northern Trust getting together, like, like we said about the the kind of 
pending regulation um they're, they're launching it in, in london but i was certainly quite surprised to a see a collaboration uh, between two banks like that but also to to see them uh, kick something off in, in crypto custody i mean i was i was surprised that they decided to launch that in london as opposed to singapore um given just how probably how singapore is maybe a bit more of a friendlier environment um mm. for the digital asset and crypto space and also given the fact that standard chartered are uh, a huge presence in singapore so I'm quite surprised how they did pick uh, London. Maybe they're just taking a punt on it, just see if it <laughs> if it picks up or not. You know, they can't discount that. Yeah, well, they might. Yeah, and that might be uh, part of the reason they they kind of launched this separate entity, Zodiac. Well, they did tell me that it was, yeah, kind of uh, be able to keep up with the speed and the pace of change by taking it out of the bank a little bit. But uh, yeah, they're both. Both kind of make sense, but uh, well, look, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here today because we've we've been through a lot. Uh, and there's, there's still a lot to talk about, so we'll, we'll touch on some more points in the next episode. But uh, yeah, 2021 has been pretty crazy already, hasn't it? Um, for for a variety of reasons, uh, I feel like every year now we're going to have this, oh, you know, classic. That's 2020 for you. Or that's 2021 for you. We're just going to keep assessing things in terms of the years itself, but. Uh, there's not going to be a normal or boring year, is there? So maybe we just have to accept uh, this is this is how it is now. <laughs> a lot of things going to happen in this uh, new normal. So uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up there. Um, as ever, Virginia, any plugs? What are you up to at Firebrand at the moment? Oh, I'm I'm busy actually building a, a maturity assessment for reg reporting. So directly in the FinReg space at the moment. So that should be launched in the coming months. And um, I'm looking at sort of how people are, are reg reporting. So um, check out my website as as always on www.fintechfirebrand.com um, for any movement on that and, and to take the uh, the maturity assessment when it when it comes up there. Cool. Thanks, Sean. Where can listeners find your work? Yeah, we just published our uh, 2021 FinReg Outlook on City Security Services Insights, which is cityvelocity.com backslash insights. Brilliant. And after reading that, do follow up uh, on that end of season episode we did last year, which was uh, talking about uh, predictions for for the new year as well. So, uh, Joe, what about GC? Anything else uh, going on there that people should keep an eye on? Uh, Yeah, sure. So... um... Next Thursday, uh, we are holding a uh, a webcast alongside um, BNY Mellon, and we're and uh, we're looking at the uh, Eurobond issuance in in Asia markets, and, and uh, we're speaking to sort of um, a couple of the, a couple of people from BNY Mellon, uh, Euroclear, Clearstream. Um, it looks it looks set to be a a pretty interesting webcast. So yeah, feel free to check that out next week. Cool. Good lineup. Well, again, uh, thanks for listening and do leave us some comments and feedback, but that's all for now. So Sean, Virginia, Joe, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. You were listening to There's Always a FinReg Angle podcast from Global Custodian. Stream on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or catch up wherever you get your podcasts from.